Welcome to this episode of Clinically Pressed. Today we have Dan Troutman of Madison Human Performance. In this episode we're going to talk everything when it comes to sports performance training, rehab, electrical stimulation, and all kinds of different performance concepts. We would like to give you a heads up and apologize in advance. Uh, this is one of our first episodes and we did have some camera difficulty. The audio is there throughout, but there are some times where we do not have any video going on with it, but we hope you enjoy this episode and check out more at clinicallypressed.com. Welcome to this episode of Clinically Pressed. Uh, this is on our trip down to Madison as we're hitting up as many people as we can. And today we're starting off with Dan Troutman. Uh, Dan is a former UWL football player uh, where I actually got to first meet him. He did his master's degree in human performance um, at UWL. Uh, is in the process of still trying to figure out PhD. That might be on the outtakes, trying to figure out the loan part of that. But now currently owns his own uh, performance center we'll call it and uh that's what we're here to talk about all the different things he does here and everything like that so dan welcome to the show um i'm excited for it so i know the biggest one that i wanted to get into is you sent a lot of stuff that you do that's very different than the traditional so even if you wanted to give a little bit of background you know having come up through your football training through some of the other things you've seen through internships kind of like I don't know, the short version of how you kind of got to where you're at here with some yeah. of these different things. Yeah, um, you kind of touched on it. I, I started off at UWL, um, and really this began before that. Um, in high school, I was always, you know, playing athletics. I, I played baseball, uh, basketball, football. I quit baseball to run track, to train for football, and that's kind of what started this um, when, I, when I realized how valuable training for sports actually is. Um, and I actually got hurt in high school um, my senior year. I broke my ankle and I didn't know it. Um, so I was kind of, yeah, so I played on it my entire college career. I've got another story about him hurting <laughs> something that not doing anything about it. <laughs> um, so that was that was injury one. And then uh, I went to Minnesota State Mankato my freshman year because I thought I wanted to be a chiropractor. Um, I kind of always knew I wanted to do something health related. Um, and then I didn't really like it there very much, and I wanted to play football and be closer to home, so I transferred to lacrosse, um, and that's when my sh my focus kind of changed away from uh, to chiropractic. I kind of debated sports medicine, um, and then I realized you could be a strength coach's living. I was like, holy smokes, that's what I want. So uh, I hit that head on, um, finished football, uh, gained a few more injuries along the way, patellar tendon tear two meniscus and a hip labrum. That you played the entire yeah. season on I didn't mention. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, had that whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know, I, I grew up in kind of a mentality of just play through it. It's just a little pain or whatever. A little um, dirt on it. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I, it didn't. I mean, it hurt, but it didn't hurt that bad to the point where I could, couldn't move or anything. So um, I just assumed it was not a big deal. Um, and then after you know training on it year in year out, um, my senior year just kind of took a complete downslide as I pulled my hamstring and it got pulled three times that season and I couldn't figure it out but it's basically because my back and everything else was spasming so bad my hamstring was just the last thing to go um so after all that I got into um uh, more of the interning with uh Kevin Schultz yep. um and I kind of he, he was kind of the first person to bring me along in the strength and conditioning world um which was a great person to have uh I mean he's still to this day one of the smartest guys I know in the field and um then I began grad school with uh, Dr. Glenn Wright, who was very influential um, for me. He's a very, very scientific mind, and uh, he kind of, he was able to train me to think, like we were kind of touching on before, outside of the box, uh, and not just, and kind of question everything, think more of like a scientist and things like that. Um, not that I'm a scientist, but at least to think like one. Um, I would love to hear why you think that he's outside the box because he seems to not be so outside the box sometimes. Yeah, but. yeah I mean, I just think he has a, a reason for why he does things. And he's a very, very smart guy. So I think, you know, sometimes when um, you get to that kind of level, you kind of form certain opinions that, well, they're probably justified, <laughs> you know. Um, but then again, I mean, I, I've always been very open-minded. I have my parents to thank for that. Um, and I guess that's kind of why... I've gotten into the things that I'm doing now um, that kind of seem a little bit off the beaten path a little bit. Um, I interned at Wisconsin with Jim Snyder and Eric Helland, both very, very, very talented coaches. Um, Jim's kind of that uh, crazy Russian scientist type of guy who does this stuff and it just works and he, he knows why and he's, he applies all these different methods and that just, you know, every day I was learning something. Um, I had interned other places prior to that and just they did more of the old school way of uh, basically just doing what everyone else does. So they, they got, where was that at? I had uh, tried to write it down, but I couldn't remember where it, it was. was at, at Stanford University. That's I, right. Yep. I, uh, I remember it was just uh, G-Dub saying something about you know, that. I, I was able to have a, a Q&A and um, basically ask, well, why do you do all this stuff? You know, I wanted to know all the scientific reasons or, or the theory behind it all. And it's just kind of like, well, the answer that I got was, well, basically you... Um, just kind of come along through the ranks and you just pick up things and pick people's programs apart and take what you like and it's just kind of like a, you know, a casserole of everyone's different ingredients. And I was just kind of like, I mean, I get that to some degree, but it just seemed like there was no rhyme or reason or whatever. Um, going through grad school, that's why I wanted to go to grad school is to learn the reasons and the, and the adaptations and the mechanisms behind every training modality. And um, that way, I think, is how you design a, a program or, uh, or a therapy program in your mm -hmm. case, well, you can't just guess and say, well, this is so what someone else did. You know, you have to understand that mechanisms and everything behind it uh, so you can organize training accordingly. Um, and then in getting out of grad school, um, ironically, I decided not to become a strength coach. Uh, the hours were <laughs> miserable. Um, as much as I liked Wisconsin, I hated the hours. Um, not so much that like, I didn't like to work for 12 hours, every day or more. Um, it's just that there's only 24 hours in a day and that leaves me with, you know, when I get grow, you know, grow a little older and have a family, that leaves me with like an hour maybe to see my family and that's just not worth it for me. 
So um, I decided to uh, open this business and um, that'll obviously my girlfriend and my girlfriend's dad both work here. Um, John Murphy's our chiropractor and Michaela's an ESS major. She graduated. Make that connection. Yeah. 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 Yep. So, um, and he does fashion manipulation and chiropractic work. Um, and she, uh, graduated from lacrosse as well. Um, was doing exercise science, yep. bio minor, and was going to become a physical therapist. And Bruce really wasn't sold on, didn't really love the day to day. Um, she was always talking about food and baking and nutrition <laughs> and stuff. And I told her, I was like, Hey, Maybe uh, you should just be a nutritionist. And she's like, no, no, no. Like three months later, she comes, oh, damn, I figured it out. I'm going to become a dietitian. I'm like, oh my gosh, I told you this like three months ago. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a conversation uh, I've ever heard you two have. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we always kind of joke about that. But um, she's very good at it. She's enrolled in Madison right now in the dietetics program. Um, and then I think she's going to go on to be uh, uh, get a master's in it as well. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, it'll kind of be a family business at the end of the day. Um, and that's kind of why I wanted to do this really on the, on the basic level is just so I can see my family every day, um, set myself up for <laughs> kind of the rest of my life, um, Makes while sense. doing something I'm good at and that I love basically is why I opened this facility. So we kind of talked about it a little bit before we started. So what are some of the things that make this unique and not just your typical gym or any yeah. other kind of fitness facility that you may come across? Yeah. So... <clears throat> John, our chiropractor, um, when I met him, like we just clicked. Um, him and I have very, very um, similar views on how the body should work and how, you know, from a therapy or a performance standpoint. Um, and we had talked about, you know, opening a place like this up uh, kind of since the day we, <laughs> we met each other, you know. And Kayla always gives us a hard time about how she never, you know, gets any attention when we're together. <laughs> so, uh, Wheel. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we're always just kind of chatting about stuff, and um, when he initially worked on me, um, and I kind of saw the merit and how much better I felt. And um, that being said, we kind of try to develop a system, um, and it's not just a gym, it's not just a, a PT center, it's all in one essentially. Um, we don't really think that there's like, it's not black and white. There's not like a dividing line. We try to, we kind of try to make it a spectrum more so where like, yes, we get a lot of injured people, um, or people just in chronic pain. Um, and he has a lot of, um, a lot of talent in, in addressing the fascial, the structural issues behind it, their alignment and things like that. Um, the hardest part for, for chiropractors and where I would step in is I address the nervous system from a training aspect um, to retrain proper movement patterns and um, one of the unique things we use here is um, is the ARP wave um, it stands for accelerated recovery and performance and really what it does is it's um, is a form of uh, direct current which is unique most most things are most ESM units are alternating current um, I don't know how you guys use it most times they uh, from what I've understood, um, it's used to fatigue the muscles so that it relaxes, and then you can do whatever. I don't know how. That's how John would there's use a, it. Yeah, there. Um, but I'm sure there's a billion we different take ways. take a full like three weeks just looking at stim waves and class, and yeah. At the end of the day, you only really need to know the difference between two of them. But yeah, yeah. Um, so direct current isn't 
commonly used, but it is mm-hmm. at times. Sure. Um, and basically, direct current was first used um, in the Soviet Union uh, with some of their high-level Olympic athletes. And um, That's probably why they call the one that we use a lot Russian stem. Yeah. <laughs> Seems to make sense. Yeah. Um, and really what they found is like direct current actually has regenerative effects on, uh, on the body. Um, this book you guys might like, uh, it's called nice. Interesting. (laughs) Yes. Uh, the body electric is a great book. It talks about injuries and the electromagnetic side of injuries, which is, you know, kind of blows your mind at first, but it really makes sense. Um, and how, if you think about it from an atomic level, everything kind of has its own electromagnetic pull of sorts. And when you get injured, the injury draws the right healing components to that area. Um, it seems a little bit like hooey, but um, when you get down to it, it makes sense. Uh, and what they found, um, Arcway, what they found is that the direct current has regenerative effects um, on injured areas. And to go back to the Russians, the, the issue they had is that they would apply this to the skin, and but it would burn the skin. But, you know, they're a little crazy over there, um, and they didn't really care. They would just train with it, you know, therapy with it, just whatever, you know, suck it up. Deal with it. Yeah, exactly. I thought you were going to say they had a problem because they kept, like, tearing biceps and no. stuff, and they were using that, you know, from the over-pharmaceutical yeah. use, and this is what they were going to use to fix it. Yeah. So. Um, no, but they uh, they would do this, and the, and the problem is obviously that would never fly here. That'd be like torture, <laughs> you know. So uh, what Arcwave did was combine two different waveforms and allow it to penetrate the skin without any burning. Um, so you just get all the regenerative and um, neural and muscular effects. Um, that's kind of how this company back in like I don't know, like the fifties or sixties or something like that. Electrostim is what it was called. Um, they started up, they didn't really know what they had. Um, this guy named Dennis Thompson, who's the creator of Arcwave, uh, he's an exercise physiologist, and he set out to find a modality that would allow him to fix compensation patterns. Um, and he found this place, okay, that's what I need. They didn't know what they had, so they sold, him, sold it to him. And he took it over and spent the last 25 years developing protocols for it. Um, for virtually, I mean, it's kind of the same protocol but applied to every different part of the body has mm-hmm. specific movements and things like that um, and it's really interesting because the direct current obviously will help heal the tissue with their regenerative effects uh, promote blood flow and things like that the direct current actually has direct effects on the tissue itself not just a byproduct of blood flow um, secondly it uh, causes the muscle to or it allows the muscle to eccentrically contract um, instead of concentrically contract which allows the muscle to be in a better position to absorb force, um, which is what our muscles are designed to do sure. uh, in general. And the theory is that every injury is caused by the muscular system not absorbing force. Now, obviously, if you, you know, get clipped in football and some, you know, like that's probably not going <laughs> to prevent everything, but pretty much every chronic. The, the non-contact and exactly. the chronic, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it's something you can actually hopefully have theories. Yeah, exactly. Um, basically the theory is that, um, the muscle dysfunctioned and that's due to these hot spots, trigger points, adhesions, whatever, whatever you want to call them. And they're areas of either myofascial, um, adhesions or, uh, scar tissue inflammation within that muscle. Um, similar to like when you lift and you get really sore, the muscle actually is partially torn. Basically it's microtrauma and that doesn't always regenerate completely with healthy tissue that sometimes regenerates with scar tissue. Um, 
and similar uh, if you ever kind of pull a muscle, if you overuse a muscle, it might not completely regenerate perfectly. Um, and over time, you do that same motion over and over, you're just generating more and more scar tissue. And the issue with that, um, to go back to the body electric now, um, talking about how the polarity of the injured cells is reversed, well, that interferes with the neuromuscular signaling. So the signal from the nervous system doesn't get sent to the muscle adequately. Um, essentially, there's um, interference and the muscle doesn't get the signal to contract or absorb or create an or absorb force properly. So that force either gets taken upon in a compensation pattern using a different muscle um, nearby or it gets transmitted directly to the joint. Typically both things happen right. and at some point that joint's just going to wear out and you're going to have an injury. Well, the ARP wave um, and its protocols will address the origin um, of the injury. And once that's cleared up, you it, it allows the joint to heal itself. The direct current helps accelerate the healing. And then on top of it all, it is stimulating the nervous system uh, to actually remember, it, uh, to basically it's developing that skill of proper movement yet again. Um, and I think that's a hard part probably as a therapist is to get them to move like they did before. Or, sure. or to get the muscle to fire properly. That's got to be the hardest part. You can fix the injury. Anybody can do that. But, I mean, like, when I had my knee surgery, for example, I couldn't fire my VMO. I, I, I did what I did a billion different types of E-stem. You know, I did deep tissue. I, I tried everything. It just wouldn't work. And it was like, I just, it, there was like no mind-body connection, so to speak. Um, I just couldn't figure it out. And then after using this, it's like a second brain. It just kind of overrides that compensation, the inhibition, and... Uh, reactivates it essentially so um, it allows them to consciously activate it then after yeah. treatment mm -hmm. that what, okay yeah so then like yeah is, uh, the idea is that there's like a power level um mm. switch on there that you are trying to get up to a certain point um and that's we should try that on your hip yeah, yeah. i think that might be the insight if you can fix this hip you might have a client for life <laughs> over there yeah that's what i'm thinking right yeah, now. yeah. where can we use this yeah interesting. and uh I mean, it, it's used a lot of uh, on a lot of professional athletes. Um, some of the bigger names you'll hear of, like Adrian Peterson. That's how he kind of came back from the ACL so quickly. I always tell people, how did he come back so quick? Because yeah. he literally had everything done yeah. perfectly. Yeah. Like, his nutrition, this thing. I'm mm -hmm. sure he had everything else. That's He's why a guy can naturally. Yeah, yeah, that's why a guy can come back in six weeks with yeah. that. When yeah. The rest um, of us, or six months, excuse me, mm -hmm. six weeks. Yeah, uh, I'm put it past them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right. The, the ageless uh, Larry Fitzgerald uses it. Brandon yeah. Marshall just started using it. Um, he was banged up early in his career. He had his nagging injuries the last couple of years. He's been solid. Um, Jay Cutler for the Bears. I know none of us probably really like him too much. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Hey, as long as he keeps throwing more passes to the back, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're fine. He can be as healthy as he wants. But, yeah, I think he injured his, I think it was his groin earlier this offseason. He was supposed to be out for, like, months. Um, he came back in, like, three weeks. And uh, they even, NFL, like, uh, I was watching the game, and they're like, yeah, he's using this this art treatment and you know those guys never know you know but uh weird they have no idea what's going on medically <laughs> yeah strange yeah um you know like and it gets mentioned here and there they just talk about it like oh it's just, just you know they don't really know what much about it but um really the special thing about it is that they patented this waveform so no one else can use it <laughs> that's that's the thing um so that's how they set it up um and they Initially started off just as like a, a therapy clinic themselves, and now they realize, well, hey, let's create like a network of practitioners, and that's what we are. So, Sweet. and then on top of it all, 
And they found that uh, people were coming back faster, stronger, more athletic than they were prior to injury. I'm like, wow, geez, there's something to this, obviously. Um, so they created a separate machine that has a couple different settings um, that they use for performance training. Nice. So um, that's what we're going to tap into, hopefully, in the near future. That was going to be my question, uh, asking, do you use it just mainly for rehab, for injuries then, or do you use it uh, like once someone's performing well, just to kind of increase yeah. the performance? Um, like I kind of touched on earlier. Before we get into that, do we want to get everything reset, take a quick break, because sure, I think sure. we can roll right into all your other performance things. Cool. With yeah. some of the other stuff that you do, cool. and we can go from there. Sounds, Sounds good. good. Awesome. All right, we're back, and we were just jumping into more of the sports performance side of thing and talking about Art Wave and where you're wanting to go with that. Um, feel free to continue to elaborate on that, but then I know looking into, and I did some of the research on it, this thought of extreme isometrics, the Michael Yesis 1x20 program, and then your eccentric overload training, which yep. I'm sure feels wonderful <laughs> when you do it. Yes, so. it's awesome. Um, anyways, back to your question. Uh Really, like we were kind of like we were touching on in the beginning, um, our clinic is therapy and performance, but it's like a spectrum. Um, it's not just you know you're done with therapy, now you're in performance. Um, really, the arc wave therapy you get performance adaptations the whole time. So like um, from day one, you're starting off, and and the muscle's going to get bigger and stronger and faster. Um, really, the speed and the frequency which it's sent at um, is 500 pulses per second. Um, which is very, very, it's much more rapid than what we can send, like, from a, our own physiological, like, capability. Mm -hmm. um, so, it really, really overloads the muscle. It comes with, like, this eating plan and everything that, you know, you have to ingest a lot more calories um, because you're working out so much. Imagine putting this on an ASCO. <laughs> oh, my God. Super human. Yeah. <laughs> Not just the eating for how much you already put on it. Could you imagine eating more? Oh, anyway, man. sorry. No, yeah. Uh, and basically, the, the muscle's getting a high load, thinking, you know, the equi equivalent like weight, um, high velocity, so speed, and high reps, high volume. So um, it's getting all three components, basically, of strength training, whereas you would normally have to train them separately. You can't train high speed with a high load and a high volume, it's just impossible. Um, you know, you know, you, any kind of attempt at that would certainly lead to injury of some sort or sure. overtraining or something. Um, that's what's very unique. And the, and the best part about it is that it's done in perfect position. So instead of, you know, doing, you know, sprints or squats or whatever, you know, you might do three perfect ones out of your reps that day, um, you know, and seven bad ones. Every rep you're getting is perfect. So it's training your body to be in optimum position all the time under an immense amount of stress. So when you go into a game or practice, you're gonna to default to that perfect position. Now that's not to say that, you know, you're gonna be in a extreme isometric split squat, you know, when you're trying to sprint. Right, it's just right. your body prefers the those optimal, you know, length tension relationships and things like that. Um, where it'll kind of revert to the proper positioning rather than a poor position <clears throat> position which will lead you uh, leave you vulnerable to injury. So from day one, you're getting that stimulus. Um, we focus on more of the hot spot removal, the first portion. Um, and then we try to strengthen up the, and basically you'll kind of chip away. Um, you'll find the first couple of days are more of the superficial, more recent hot spots or compensation patterns that you've adapted. Um, and then you get into more of the deep rooted ones. And then basically you'll come to a point where you won't find any more new hot spots. You found like the original ones that caused the problem in the first place. 
when you're saying hot spots, you're talking just like, like areas points, of pain. Areas so, of yeah, when people we'll start feeling different things. Yeah, like when we're scanning you, you know, we'll start, like, say you have a knee injury, we'll start in your knee, and you won't feel much, and then we'll run up your quad, and it just feels like an intense contraction, and all of a sudden you go over this hot spot, it's an area of scar tissue and inflammation. Lights of it, it's like, whoa, like it feels like a dagger went into your leg. Um, and basically, that's the interference, the electrical interference um, from the damaged tissue. So um, that's what's not allowing your muscle to function op optimally. And we focus on eliminating, eliminating those. And once we do, we strengthen up those the original weak points for the next you know quarter of the treatment. The last half, <clears throat> you go from a more generalized performance. That's where it starts to kind of fade into the more of the performance. So you're, you're strengthening the muscle groups kind of as a whole, not focusing on in particular hot spots. You're right. focusing on just like kind of the major muscle group type of things. An analogous to okay, where you know you might be trying to strengthen up someone's like you know VMO and rehab, but then they go back into performance training, and now they're just strengthening the entire leg. Mm -hmm. so right, it's right. A, Makes similar sense. kind of um, analogy. Um, so then, yeah, once you finish the therapy um, part of it, you would then go into um, you could either like you're just kind of an average Joe and you just want to maintain. You can come back and just do maintenance sessions every so often. Um, or if you're a serious athlete, that's when you would transition to the ARPWAY performance training, which is a few different protocols, settings on the machines, but it's still the same concept of sure. establishing proper biomechanics, getting high load, high volume, or yeah, high load, high volume, and high speed all in the, all in the same workout in the proper position. So yields pretty, pretty like good results. So if they looked at like muscle activation <clears throat> patterns when using that, are you still able to get like to a high percent of maximal voluntary contraction mm -hmm. things that's, like that. it's supposed basically super maximal so um that's kind of the idea behind it um now if you're a, a, a strict arc wave you know um performance training uh coach then you would do pretty much solely this um from my understanding um and then but some people use it as like a, an additional tool so they'll still do like their sprints and their squats and everything like mm -hmm. normal, and then they'll do this on top of it. Mm -hmm. But from my understanding, Jay Schrader, who's the guy that created the ARPWAY POV, or the performance trainer, um, has basically just his POV training protocols, and that's all they do. Like he'll train sprinters without sprinting and doing any sports, with it's crazy. Like yeah. it sounds like nutty, but um, at some point he has them go out and sprint a little bit to get the motor pattern down. Well, but, I think you just, you would have to without, you're missing that load component and the ground reaction force, exactly. all those things that translate right. to other mm -hmm. adaptations of that's my question too. bone mineral density and things mm -hmm. like that, that I don't think you could simulate with a mm -hmm. electrical stimulation. Uh, it seems to be with like everything, and I know from, from what you've told me when I've heard like the guy that works with hockey, Jim, mm -hmm. is a big postural restoration yeah. guy, which I've found very helpful in some instances, but like when they came down, I was at Kansas and talked to us. It's like, you know, we fixed this and that and the other thing, and then we decreased 40 times, and it's one of those, like, yeah. if it was that good for everyone, wouldn't everyone have finally jumped in? And that's where I always kind of get my hang up on, like, yeah, this arc wave sounds fantastic, mm -hmm. but you put all your eggs in one basket. No, like, I don't think not. you can, or else everybody mm -hmm. in the country and the world would have one of these things, like, I want to buy this laser. They're expensive, but if they fixed everything, <laughs> right. then everybody would have one. Exactly. But and that's where I was kind of torn, too, because I was like, oh, no, I just spent, like, 
seven years in school learning about training, and now none of it's was That was going to be one of my questions from your yeah. traditional and like, you know, when I got, education to... Yeah. When I got back from training, uh, our way of training, I was like, oh, God, like I was in such a funk. I was like, well, I don't know what to train for now. Like, what do I do? Like, do I just zap myself every day? <laughs> yeah. I had that same thing with ART. I went to the course for the lower extremity. Mm-hmm. was working with track and field, came back, clearing my injury report off. Yeah. I can fix anything. Yeah. Fixed a bunch of people, didn't fix some of the other ones. Like, they still were hurt. It mm-hmm. didn't matter if you yeah. did it flawlessly. Like, it mm-hmm. still didn't completely fix it. Like, right. ART doesn't cure cancer. So, we got to use other <laughs> things. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, it's always going to be like that. I don't yep. think there's ever going to be a end-all cure-all. So, um, it's just another tool in the toolbox, sure. but it's mm-hmm. probably one of our more substantial yeah, there's always to be able to always buy those two backgrounds too I mean, yeah that's, and, that's and I, that's the biggest thing I mean anybody could do this I, I, you know, I've gotten that question before well why doesn't everybody do this well not everybody you have to have the knowledge of movement patterns you have to know right. like what looks good you have to know what's like wrong and be able to have some sort of diagnostic I'm no like athletic trainer chiropractor anything but I you know understand movement patterns and that's all you really have to do to be mm-hmm. able to do this kind of work and I would imagine for general population, have those nagging yeah. issues and chronic injuries. Like, mm. That's a, a great training tool because that's yeah. probably where a lot of their issues oh, are coming from. Those hot spots. And yeah, exactly. Yeah, like the sure. movement compensation patterns exactly. over multiple years just takes mm-hmm. its toll. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, there's going to be instances where they need, you know, when they need surgery. But, I mean, they've there's been stories of clinics being able to rehab ACLs without surgery um, because... Like we were kind of talking about before, um, with the current of injury and, and the electromagnetism of tissues, um, it basically assists, like if you have, I don't know if it was a partial tear or full tear, um, but for let's just mm-hmm. say it's a partial just because that's most likely. But basically it accelerates the fusion of right. the corresponding tissues and I mean, theoretically maybe you could do that in a full tear, I don't know. But um, that's I've seen a couple of things that, depending on it, it's probably going to be too far apart, but there, I saw this probably a year ago, they're now looking, instead of actually having to, like, change out or put in the patellar tendon or yeah. the hamstring tendon, almost making a graft mm-hmm. that will reconnect it and then allow the body to regrow yeah. from the two ends, but mm-hmm. if they're fully torn, it's almost too far apart. Yeah. Because I know that was a lot what they talked about in the Body Electric book is mm-hmm. this a lot of looking at like salamanders and yeah. the things that can actually regrow yep. limbs and how that's even feasible. Mm-hmm. But it's a little the, dense, but it is yeah. kind of interesting. It's it's really interesting, and I guess the biggest thing that I that I took away from that, if I could pick out one part from that book, would be um, how each area of the body has its own sort of specific electromagnetic force or pull. Um, and that was illustrated in their example when they took a salamander, cut off its back leg on its right side, cut off its front leg on its right side, and they switched the legs. And the back leg that was attached to the front became a front leg in structure, mm-hmm. and the front leg attached to the back became a back leg in structure. So basically, and I, I'm assuming it's somewhere, some sort of gene or something, that basically it recognizes, so it basically just gets expressed slightly differently than it was previously. Um, and that's how I would, yeah, that's how I would basically yeah. assume the ACL, right. it, it just recognizes the right pattern based yep, upon sure. its electromagnetic pull. And that's how I would understand it at least. <laughs> pretty sweet. Stuff, yeah, though. pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, yeah. the thought of it's pretty Those cool. guys are geniuses. <laughs> but, um, yeah. yeah, that leads us into uh, my other training, too. Um, we incorporate, basically, <clears throat> I'm going to be working mostly with like high school athletes and probably not a lot of college players because, I mean, they have their own thing. Um, yeah, it's kind of hard it's to pull be, them out of what they are. Yeah, yeah. We might just be like an outsourcing thing. I mean, off-season stuff sometimes, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but then, like, a lot of former Badgers being in the Madison area might, you know, are going to come back like John works on a few of the former Badger hockey players who are yeah. in the NHL and stuff. So um, they might come back and work with us and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much how, how we incorporate ArcWave into our your system. Awesome. So when come when someone just walks in the door and is looking for help, whether it's from a therapeutic standpoint, do they undergo like an initial assessment yep. by you and then kind of get <clears throat> addressed yeah. with different people depending on what their needs are? Yeah. Um, so the way we would ideally have it is they would sign on for like a package or whatever with me and John. John would do all the like the more of a full body approach. Um, Michaela gets left out again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, John would do kind of the full body approach, address the, the fascial adhesions and stuff like that, um, and the structural alignment of the spine and other joints. Um, where, and then I would come with a more neurological approach. So we kind of feel like we have a fairly comprehensive system in place. Obviously, when Michaela finishes her dietetics degree, she'll incorporate nutrition and stuff like that, which will further accelerate the process, you know, so they reduce inflammation, things like that. Um, but yeah, if someone just walks in, uh, they get basically a free first session because typically they're skeptical. It just seems like, oh, this is some food mm-hmm. box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, we offer to them for free and it's just like, hey, we'll prove it to you. And yeah. they walk out of here. Like I had, um, me and John went down to Broadhead and this guy's got a, uh, like a jiu-jitsu gym down there. And, um, he must have, he was telling me like seven or eight years ago, he, Got put in some sort of, you know, move. I don't know. Um, and it like ripped his some sort of pulled muscle in his shoulder or something. And he since then he's never been able to lift his arm past you know above his shoulder. Um, within the first treatment, you know, after I took everything off, you you could go you know like around like normal and mm-hmm. just because he had so much inhibition in uh, the cuff muscles and things right. like that, we just were able to reactivate him. He's like, oh my god, <laughs> you know. So like that gets the buy-in. Um, just kind of the seeing is believing type of thing. Have you done anything or with like muscle activation technique, MAT? Uh, no, but no? I've looked into it before. Yeah, me too, several times, except it's really expensive and yeah. long <laughs> duration to learn. But yeah. just some of the stuff as I was reading, even through like the isometrics <clears> and <throat> some of that stuff, reminded me of MAT and just wondered if that was something that you had looked into. Yeah, I mean, I would like to do that stuff, but at this point, it's just like you said, expensive and time consuming. <laughs> It's a business right now for you now. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, yeah. Cool. Well, I think let's take another break here real quick and get everything reset, and we'll be back after that. Okay, we're back. Uh, we're going to head into our kind of final section. I think Dan's going to talk more about his some of the other training things, and then we'll jump into the clinically pressed questions and go from there. So... Yeah, talk about some of the other crazy stuff that you do. <laughs> well, uh, it's not quite as crazy as the arc wave, I suppose, but uh, um, <laughs> non-traditional, maybe non-traditional, is a better. Yeah. Um, so, um, a lot of stuff um, I have to credit uh, Jim Snyder and the guys at Wisconsin, Eric Helland, um, kind of introducing introducing me to this. Um, 
Uh, let's, I guess we can just go in order here. Uh, the first thing they introduced me to, I guess not the first, one of the most crazy things they introduced me to is uh, the Michael Yeses program called the 1x20RM method. Yeah, um, I was looking at that. It seemed yeah. very interesting and it. actually made me reconsider some of the stuff we've been doing. It's it's nuts. Um, it really is. Uh, there's a book on it, actually. Just added it to my Amazon wish list. Yep. Um, it's literally called the Revolutionary 1x20RM program. And I didn't believe it at all at first. I, I thought it was a bunch of BS. Um, Michael, yes, is a very smart, you know, renowned guy. Oh, yeah, so absolutely. it had to be some credibility to it. Um, you know, they've been talking to me about this. I didn't, I didn't really get it. They didn't really get it that much. Um, but then uh, the Whitewater Strength Coach actually came up and gave a little, like, lunch and learn type of thing to us. We're just hanging out and talking shop. Um, he's telling me how oh, this is like, oh, this is all I do. Um, I was like, oh, no way, no way, you know, like, come on. <laughs> National champs. Yeah. Like, that's, like, and, and this all, would be a Gito question and I've really thought about oh, asking him. I really want to know his thoughts I, on I want, that. I do too, but I'm scared. Since we've done <laughs> yeah. that, we've shifted over. He's been helping us out a lot this year oh, cool. because of everything. And so yeah. we've gone to the Exos style, trying yeah. to work everything in. It's been very helpful and our guys have gotten benefit from it. But now yeah. after kind of seeing this, I was like, no wonder what he thinks. So originally, um, Dr. Yes has created this program as an, as a beginner program. It's simple, um, easy to do. Uh, you don't do a whole lot of heavy weight, really at all, um, relatively. Um, and but yet it's very effective. And the way it works is you select anywhere from fifteen to twenty-five or thirty exercises, depending on how many extra little things you want to do. You kind of hit the main ones, so you do a squat pattern. A uh, horizontal push, like a bench pattern, horizontal pull, um, like a like a posterior chain deadlift RDL type. Um, good morning, maybe. Um, a, like a pull down, vertical pull, vertical push, bicep, tricep, lateral raise, um, you know, like shoulders. Mm -hmm. uh, you do a lunge. Um, and you don't have to stick exactly to that. I'm sure Yesus would disagree, but um, you know, I, I throw in like an actual like a like a glute bridge, like a barbell hip thruster, yeah. um, leg extension, leg curl. He's big into his active cords so with his hip flexion, um, leg extension on those like elastic band type of things, okay. adduction, abduction, um, calf raise. Really, really, you're just trying to hit every joint in the body. Um, but you only do it one set, and you do it for 20 reps. And my understanding and the way that I apply it is that 20 reps is like the gold standard number. Um, but if you fall, you're trying to fall within the range of 18 to 22. Okay, I was going to say, is that mm -hmm. trying to fatigue out at 20? Or? Yep. Okay. So 20 is just kind of like gives you the rough, like you tell the person, okay, do this, do what you can do 20 times, 20 times only. You know, if they fall short and they get 18, they stay there until the next workout. If they get past that, you know, 22 or more maybe, then they bump up weight the very next workout. Right. So it's like this continual revolving thing. And it's, it's really crazy. Um, cause you, you add, you can add weight, you get stronger every single day. You're adding five pounds every time. It's so are you doing this every single yeah, day or like how many days a week is this? Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So three days a week. Okay. I, all I see with this is right. gray shirts. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what I, that was my Absolutely. initial thought on it. Yep. Okay. Um, and really what it's doing, it's low dosing. So you're not overstressing them. Um, that's the biggest thing in my opinion. Um, a lot of programs like five, three, one or whatever, get hammered, you know, yeah. you're doing five, three, one for four years as a football player, you got all this other stuff. It's just very, very intense and taxing on your nervous system. You only have so much room to adapt. Um, this is slowly building your capacity and not even that slowly, like, you, you know, 
I know it's 20 reps and it's easier to put on five pounds on a 20 RM than it is for a one RM, but still you're, you're, you're increasing that capacity. And you know, there's videos of guys from whitewater cranking out, I think three Oh five or whatever back squat for 20 reps. I mean, that's, that's mental. Like that's crazy. Um, and we need some of that. <laughs> yeah. And when you think about it from a, uh, like a metabolic or a molecular standpoint, what you're doing is you're going to produce a lot of lactate. That's yep. basically about a, um, almost a minute under tension, especially with the compound movements, you know, the bicep curls, maybe not, but, um, and what that does is going to release a lot of, um, lactate and, therefore growth hormone, which stimulates connective tissue. Um, so you're adding a lot of fascia in the right planes, assuming proper range of motion and all that, and not messed up form. Um, you're, you're increasing the connective tissue, just amount in that, in that athlete. Um, and this is the main question that I would love any scientist or anybody to be able to answer is within that connective tissue, can you grow more? Does that come with more muscle spindle? Or are you just fixed? Because if you can increase your muscle spindle, then that would potentially explain why these people are increasing their verticals and their explosiveness so much without really doing any true heavy power work. Um, now, if you were to hook a tendo up to this as well, you would notice that the bar speeds, especially for the first 10 reps or so, are pretty high. You know, it, in order to do 20 reps, you can't be doing slow weights. That'd be just you wouldn't be able to do it 20 times. Um, it would have to fall within that 50-60% range, which happens to be what people would say power, um, you know. So, you know, if you're looking on the 10 to 40 to 60, you know, like if you look on, um, uh, what's his name, Brian Mann, uh, he gives like power ranges for 10 units and things like that. That's typically the, the percentage of the 1RM that falls within that strength, speed, power range. Um, and potentially another explanation of why people's verticals are increasing so much. Mm -hmm. um, can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but he, uh, I think he's the basketball strength coach at Richmond, and he does this solely. Um, and he he notes 10-inch vertical increases in their first year, which is really, <laughs> you know, which, wow. is, which is pretty cool. I'm, I believe it's the first year, but he's got, he's got grass. With a bio study. But it's, it's really impressive, and considering they're not doing the traditional, you know, hypertrophy, you're not, I mean, you're, you're going to get some hypertrophy, you're still activating mTOR and everything like that, but it's not the true, like, five by five or whatever, the true optimal right. zone, you right. know, you're doing 20 reps, um, you know, but if you look at that from a week standpoint, you're doing 60 reps a week, roughly 60 reps a week, you know, um, and the idea is that you would do this until you plateau. Um, the worst part about this is that it's boring. It's really, really boring. So I like to just kind of do a month of it and then switch. Yeah, um, makes sense. Uh, but there's a progression. So it's it's one by 20. And then the next block or phase, whatever you decide to do, whether it's in the next month or when they plateau, you switch down to one by 14. Um, same exact thing. Uh, now you don't have to one by 14 for every movement. I would do it for maybe like the compound movements, um, okay. like the prime movements. Um, you could keep... The, like the bias and the, like the shoulder exercises, high volume. If you wanted to, those you're not really trying to go up in every single one. Like right, you know, right. you're not gonna be able to do you know scarecrows and increasing five pounds a week. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> be all good to throw right. up eighty just doing those. <laughs> yeah. right. um, um, the ultimate bro workout. The, the, the main the main movements, the compound multi muscle group movements, are the ones that you're gonna see those increases on. Um, 
And then once you're done with one by 14, you go to one by eight. And the true one by 20 program, you would just revolve through that. You just keep going and going year in and year out. Because then once you get to one by eight, now you're hammering pretty heavy weights. And then you're gonna carry that neural strength back through one by 20 again, and you're just gonna continually bump up each time through. Yeah, That's how these guys are getting up to 305 for 20 reps. Um, and we're talking about that's a that's an enormous capacity. So then, like, let's just say you plateau. Maybe this stops working after a few years. Theoretically, maybe it never does um, stop working. You just have slow progress at some point. You're not just gonna mm -hmm. you know never slow down. But that's when you would come back with more of the five RMs, three RM, one RM type workouts. And now you have this huge connective tissue, muscular foundation. You haven't even tapped your nervous system out yet. You're still you know, and strength slash power endurance thing, like zones. And you and you have, it's like having, you know, someone start off with a 400-pound squat, you know, that's never trained on, on the nerve, so to speak, right, before. Right. I mean, that would be, that now you're talking, by the time maybe they're a senior, now you're throwing up 600 pounds regularly, you know. So, who knows? I don't know how it would have come out. Everyone's going to be different, but that's, that's the theory behind it. And then they would, they slowly incorporate speed and plyos and For stuff sure. like that. They... They keep those fairly low in volume each day, just right before the workout, and then that's it. You know, that's basically the way it works. Maybe so how long do those workouts last? I'm just an hour. Math. My head is still at, come out at, around an hour. Yeah, at the most. I mean, once they get the hang of it, you don't have to coach as much. Then 45 minutes. You know. Even to do, yeah, like to do 20 calf raises. Right. That's yeah. what's even weighted isn't going to take you forever. Right? Yeah, a minute it's, really. Yeah, some of those simple yeah. abduction mm -hmm. exercises should not take too long. Yeah, and it's Every and it's awesome works. for athletes because you're working in multiple planes. Um, I think Dr. Wright would really like that because he was always stressing um, like things from uh, my coach and things like that. Yeah, where they yeah. would have all these rotational ad works and, and pulls. So in much it. fun to teach our football guys how to do that. <laughs> it's been an interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is like, you know, if you, if you can create strength in these little movements, like if you're doing like a, like a back raise, you know, and mm -hmm. your feet are in a glute ham, but you know, you extend up and you're rotating both ways. I mean, all that stuff's very sport specific. And if For you sure. can, you know, not have these big power lifters out on the field move like blocks, right. you know, that's going to carry over into increased athleticism alone. Use a couple of those guys right now. So powerlifting size guys. Yeah, and then uh, another thing I picked up from uh, Jim Snyder was he introduced me to these extreme isometrics. Okay. Um. Uh. And really, I didn't really. I just thought it was cool. Like at first, I didn't really get it. Um. But he's like, no. Um. I'm I'm restructuring them. You know, hockey players especially, they're constantly yeah. pushing laterally. They when they flex their hip, their knee comes outside of their body, you know, like laterally, they can't, yeah, they don't yeah. like to recruit that through that psoas, they use kind of that TFL or whatever area, I don't, can't remember my anatomy very well, but that's essentially, they're, they're pulling through there more than straight, you know, straight in front of them, so they, <clears throat> when they would go into sprinting, it would be terrible. <laughs> it's I just imagine. like waddling, yeah. you know. So, it's just over uh -huh. And yep. I'll come back to this later, but sprinting, you know, I think we can all agree is a very, very important thing to do no matter what your uh, sport is. Um, so he wants to train them to do sprints, hill sprints, all, all sorts of things like that in the off season. Well, if they start running and waddling around, they're just going to get hurt. For sure. So he implemented these extreme isometrics, um, to kind of regroove the proper motor pattern. And that's all I thought. That's when I looked at it, I was like, oh, he's just teaching them how to be, uh, in perfect, um, form essentially, uh, no matter what movement they're doing. 
And basically the extreme isos he would use is the split squat. Um, that's the one he did the true extreme isos on. He did some other eccentric and isometric, isometric holds with push-up and some other mm -hmm. things like that. Split squats would make sense for yeah, the hockey guys, exactly. especially to retrain. Mm -hmm. And that's one Putting of them in the right position. Yeah, and but if you're Jay Schrader, he, he uses the split squat slash wall squat, depending on your ability. Uh, the push-up, the pull-up hold, um, you would progress from push-up to dip at some point, but that's very, very hard. And I think that there might be another one I'm forgetting, but that's essentially it. Basically just trying to re-grease the groove and, and establish that motor patterning again. And then Jim brought to my attention as well um, that I'm not just adjusting the nervous system, you know, in the recruitment pattern. Or we, they would get up to three, four minutes in a split squat hold. And they're trying to, the difference is they're not trying to resist gravity. They're trying to pull, this, pull, uh, sorry, pull themselves down. So they're trying to pull their hips to the ground. Um, contract, like on the front leg, you'd be trying to squeeze your hamstring. Rather than push away from the ground, you're mm -hmm. trying to pull yourself to the ground. The back leg's trying to push backwards, like like you would be trying to push, push up and run. Yeah. Exactly. Um, not trying to extend the quad like most people feel it quad tension when they do split squats. So that creates a lot of, it's basically it's a very, very slow eccentric. It's not really isometric. You're actually lengthening slowly. You're just trying to grip on and hold. Sure. And as fatigue sets in, you get lower and lower. And the tension that you create obviously produces some level of strength. You get some of that size principle theory in there. Like you're starting off just a mm -hmm. low threshold motor units. As those drop out, you're increasing higher and higher, and then you start burning more and more getting some of that lactate, connective tissue put in place, plus the amount of time, <clears throat> I'm, I believe it takes roughly three, four, five minutes to adjust the fascia of constant pressure. So you're getting fascial adjustments as well, um, especially when you can get up into those longer holds. Sure. Um, maybe, you know, right away you might only start off at like a minute or two minutes. Well, in time, it's a very, very rapid adaptation. Um, and these guys, they're, I mean, they're great athletes to begin with, but... Um, the, you know, I would be timing them. They'd be getting almost to four minutes within a couple of weeks, um, and that's substantial. I mean, if you, you and you'll see it, the blood flow, it's like occlusion training. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of effects of occlusion training. The blood flow literally gets choked off um, from about mid-thigh down. You know, their leg turns purple almost. And uh, it's crazy. And if you look at all the benefits from occlusion training, <clears throat> you know, it activates high threshold motor units to a higher degree um, and produces... Uh, satellite cells more um, in those areas of the occlusion. So you're going to build more muscle that way too. Um, I wrote a little paper about it before, but I can't remember everything in it. But uh, there's a lot of benefits to occlusion training. If you find that, send it to me. We can link it up. Yeah, especially yeah. from a rehab standpoint. That's how it kind of all started with the uh, blood pressure costs and everything like that. Yeah, we use uh, a little bit of that with those mm -hmm. voodoo bands. Yeah. Um, yeah. We do some some minor things with that and yeah. just try different things and we've always joked about doing occlusion training up in the SPC because it's something that you've always been kind of interested in a couple the research of researches studies that have yeah. come out showing they use in off-season training programs mm -hmm. and yeah because they can train at low lows kind exactly. of some of the stuff you're talking about earlier but still get the benefits of right it's higher a load, higher volume more. exactly um so, so that's um how I first got introduced to it and then I tried out more like the true protocol for it um, and it, the results are pretty amazing. Um, you're supposed to get up to a very, very high level before, like if you were to follow Jay Schrader's strict program, apparently 
you do extreme isos for like a year. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, but he, he, you get up to the point where you know you got forty pounds on your back and you're holding a push up hold for like five minutes straight. Yeah. That's that's insane. Like I, I couldn't imagine doing that or convincing any of my clients to stick with me while they go through that. But if it works, it works. Cool. Um, but anecdotally, like, like as I said, I'm not a scientist or anything, so I can't really publish anything. But uh, Michaela and I were monkeying around with these last fall, and we did them for a month. And uh, Michaela is about five foot eleven. She's very tall and lanky. She's got longer arms than I do. Um, so in her push-ups, she just struggles from a biomechanical leverage standpoint. And uh, she could do push-ups, but they're always just kind of those grinded out, kind of not real, you know, poppy mm -hmm. push-ups. Um, and if I had her line up in that perfect push-up position. You know, maybe five perfect ones, then it'll kind of start to get crap. Maybe not even that. And we did a month of just ISO holds, and she didn't even do it, do it from her toes. She was doing it on an incline, like onto a chair from her knees. And she built up, I think, maybe her top consecutive time was three and a half minutes or so. Um, and then a month later, we just kind of post-tested, and she could rip off like 10 or 15 perfect push-ups. Boom, nice. boom, boom. That's a substantial, substantial gain, and she didn't even get to the you know, five minute mark. Right. She wasn't even on her feet. She was on her knees. So it's a substantial increase in strength. Um, you know, you get that those neural adaptations as well, size principle, increased recruitment. I'm sure you probably get some sort of rate coding improvements in there as well, um, just because you're taking it to failure. Um, so um, that's what I now prelude the one by twenty program with, so I can establish proper function first like motor learning first, that's mainly what I use it for. I don't care so much about the strength gains, anything that I get is kind of just bonus. Um, for sure. But then when I go into 1x20, they're just, they're, they're ready to go. They can, I don't have to coach them much. Um, like my clients have seen some pretty good uh, improvements. So the last three weeks, my um, one of my clients put on, on, I think 25 or 30 pounds onto his front squat and just on his 20 RM, which is pretty good. Um, yes. And he's oh, still yeah. going, he's not slowing down. That's a nice thing. Um, we also incorporate uh, some flywheel inertial training. Um, I want to keep this one the Twitter version so we can move on. To sure. It. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Since we're running out of time, I know you got stuff and we've got yep. stuff. So, um, which is kind of combined with our eccentric <coughs> overload training. Eccentric overload. The reason why I'm interested in doing that is because it promotes fast twitch two x uh, fiber type conversion. Um, so most weight training, you'll see power and speed gains from the neural aspect and muscular size aspect up to a certain point. But most people don't get much faster at a certain point. Um, that's because traditional weight training um, converts you down to a 2A twitch speed, um, which is fast, but not, you know, you're never going to run a 4-3 with that. Um, the thing about eccentric overload training, whether it's from a speed overload or a load overload, um, like you would see weight releasers or whatever, um, it converts it to a 2x isoform, so you get a faster, powerful muscle isoform. And we use our flywheel, um, our VersaPulley for that, um, because it's it's simple. We don't need weight releasers. All we do is the 2-1 technique, so we'll, um, we would do like a deadlift up into a single leg RDL down to control mm -hmm. it to promote that overload, because there's no way. Makes sense. Because then when you, if you try to do like a single leg RDL, has a power reader on there and it tells you what your output was. And then obviously if you're producing more output with two legs than you could with one, obviously, and then you control it on one leg down, you're getting eccentric overload of um, that leg. So that'll promote so. some fast twitch fiber um, 
conversion right. rate. And that's basically, you know, kind of our outside the box. We do a lot of other traditional things. We don't just do all that stuff. But <laughs> Sounds we, good. You know, can't throw away that seven years of school. No, yeah. like anything else, you just kind of, those are just tools in the toolbox. For sure. You throw in it time to time. And we use traditional methods as well. Awesome. As a foundational part of our program. So that's that. Well, these are the four questions now that we ask everybody. Mm -hmm. So we always like to finish up with those. Yeah. Um, first one is, uh, <laughs> like we said, we kind of covered most of these probably already, but what would be something, maybe just one thing that you believe that a lot of others may not? Um, I kind of touched on this earlier. I think that um, from a training aspect, everyone needs to sprint. I think it's the most functional human movement you can possibly do. Um, you know, you, you can, you know, if you look at this, the power aspects of speed, um, sprinters or Olympic weightlifters or powerlifters, who's the most explosive? Obviously a sprinter. Um, Olympic lifters are a close second, but it's very hard to make a sprinter out of an Olympic weightlifter or even harder to make a sprinter out of a powerlifter. But you can go the opposite direction much easier. That's because sprinting and explosive um, work, um, such as sprinting, ballistic movements, um, make those high threshold motor units easier to recruit. So that's why sprinters never squat a day in their life. A walk in the first day, oh, I threw up 315. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's not much, but for, you know, for not yeah, squatting. Yeah, for never having picked up a bar, for uh, sure. That's pretty impressive, especially when they're a buck 70. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, what the heck? So that's why I think everyone needs to sprint year-round. Uh, from day one of, you know, their athletic development, middle school on, just sprint, run track, do whatever you got to do, but got to sprint. Um, secondly, um, honestly, throughout school um, and my internships, I have met a lot of very smart people, smarter than I am. And uh, the more I've learned, it, uh, the more I've learned from a school standpoint or an education standpoint, the more I realize that I don't know, the more of this... Science, like I, I'm reading this molecular exercise phys book right now, and the more I learn about that, I'm like, oh my Some god! Some reading. Yeah. <laughs> the more I read about that, you know, half the stuff goes over my head. But um, the more I read, and the more I learn, the more I realize I, I don't know. For it's, sure. And the more people that tell you, oh, that's BS, or they have so much black and white, and you know, hard facts and things like that, the more it's just kind of well, they just don't, you know, they're just trying to beat home their own training methods. And I, I just think. And that leads me to my third point is that you need to always critically think, question everything, um, you know, but don't be, you know, self-righteous and, and cynical about it, you know. Um, For sure. Kind of have the mindset of just being an open book and, um, you know, share information. You know, don't be an information hoarder like like you guys. You guys are trying to, you know, share information, spread the spread the wealth a little bit, you know. Don't be one of those people who just tries to... Oh, really? It's you, you sharing the wealth. We're just sitting here listening yeah. to you. So <laughs> yeah, we got the easy part of the yeah. job. So. Yeah. But I mean, that's just what I'm trying to do. I, yeah, no, I absolutely. I'm kind of benefiting the greater good, not just trying to advance my own practice. And I think if everyone kind of could do that, we would be much, much better off as a, as a whole. Um, so yeah. Cool. Most influential, and we use the term loosely, fitness purchase. <laughs> it could be anything tied to it, but we could make that huge for under a hundred bucks. God, I don't know if it's under hundred bucks. Yeah. Or close. You got some expensive toys. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, I don't think the ARP counts. No, that no, would no, be no. the only thing that we say doesn't count. Um, honestly, it's old school, and people hate on it. But my favorite piece of equipment is the trap bar. I think it's the most functional thing you could do um, from a loading standpoint. 
every time I do it, I jump higher and run faster. And, uh, and by could, trap bar, are we talking about? The hex bar. The hex yeah, bar, okay. Just, yeah. 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 Um, I just think the way it loads you kind of like from the anterior to posterior standpoint, it's just right in line with that. Yep. The, the curve of that, you know, the force curve of your body when, you, when you're standing up or jumping. It's not too dominant you know, for the posterior chain or two dominant into your chain. Um, I think it's just perfect from a biomechanical standpoint. And I'll throw a second one in there because I didn't know if you wanted equipment or a no, hook. Um, either one, and or. Really, yeah. the, the thing that kind of sent me over the edge, um, I was, for a while there, I always kind of wondered, oh, should I try to pursue a PhD and study all this stuff or should I just, I don't know. But um, it's a book called uh, Molecular Exercise Physiology. Sorry, I'll speak in the mic. Oh, Molecular good. Exercise Physiology by Henning Wackeridge. Um, it's not super in depth, but he talks just about some basic molecular and genetic pathways, um, and really that sparked my interest into all this stuff. And there's more advanced books out there. And this is—I don't want to say it's a light read, but it's a, not a difficult read by any means. It, it says an introduction, so that gives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's got stuff about nutrition and different sorts of signaling for endurance and weight weight training, things like that. It's really cool. Um, and ever since then, I've just kind of been on like a binge of reading as much research about it all as I can. Awesome. Um, and yeah, those are my two recommendations. So, and then the last one, and before we go and kind of wrap it up, yeah, I pretty probably kind of touched on this too. Like what would you tell yourself in both your training and your education if you could go back five, 10 years? Yeah. Um, for training, I would have said, don't play on injuries. Hey, stupid, <laughs> your foot's broken. Don't play on it. Um, that would have saved me a lot of agony. But who knows? Maybe I never would have gotten into this field. There you go. Whatever. I mean, it kind of led me. It's one of my little stepping stone things. Um, and from an education standpoint, I would say, because uh, I'm still trying to go back and get that PhD, um, but i got to take some prereqs for it, is... Uh, take a hard science like I, I took some but like I, I have to get through or, organic chemistry biochemistry to get into the program I want to and I never had to take those as a fitness or ESS undergrad so it's like ah you know it would just if as much as it would suck and as much as you don't understand what's going on when you're an undergrad it's going to help you out with understanding of how everything else works from a training nutrition standpoint you know as Dr. Jagan and I talked about earlier um, you know, if, if you're trying to look up some supplement or something like that, it would, you would literally understand the mechanism behind For sure. it. So, um, without that, it's just kind of like that you're bordering on that bro science line, you know? So bro for Jesus. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's all I got. All right. So just kind of in closing, where can people find you? Where should they find you? What's the um, best way to get a hold of you? Whatever, yeah. plug whatever you want to plug. <laughs> Well, we're Madison Human Performance. Um, we are in Middleton, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Madison. Um, 3510 Parmenter Street. You can reach me at 608-225-5465. Um, or email me, danT at madisonhumanperformance.com. We'll link all that up for you. Yeah. Um, and we're open uh, We're open by appointment. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess you can try to catch us when we're here, but... Sometimes we do things on the road, so we're not always in the office. So we set things up by appointment, um, you know, training, therapy, nutrition. That's basically our, our gig. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. This has been great. Cool. Thank you, guys. A lot of information, information. so it should be, should be a fun one. Cool. All right. Thank you for watching or listening to this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. 
Uh, please check us out at clinicallypressed.com or on almost any social media site, Facebook, Twitter, um, and even Instagram. Um, as always, go to our website, check it out, uh, leave any ideas uh, for episodes. We're always open to trying new things and interviewing new people. And also sign up for the weekly TAT newsletter for free when you go on to the site. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy this episode.